When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to Bleeding Blue. This is a New York football Giants history podcast. My name is Justin Panic. With me as always is Nikki Snacks, one of my best friends in the entire world. Snacks, today we uh, we interviewed Stephen Toronto of CBS Sports. Toronto like the city. That's how he told me to pronounce it. Stephen Toronto, CBS Sports. He wrote a really cool article kind of comparing, you know, Phil Sims and Daniel Jones, like their kind of career trajectories. And, you know, we're all saying that this is a make or break year for Daniel Jones. And in fact that, you know, obviously it's not make or break in terms of his career ending, but we all like to be dramatic in sports, but that's what sports is about. We're dramatic, but also Steven's here to say, take a breath. It'll be all right. Phil Sims career turned out all right. Snacks. How are you doing today? Doing great, Justin. Really. Thank you uh, for asking me. Um, thanks for bringing me on this week too. Um, usually you forget about me and whatnot, but no, it's really great to be, it's really great to be here. And, um, this is the second to last of the season. So yeah. I think we did a good job and Steven was a very nice guest. Um, very informative, very, um, educated, very articulate, um, very, uh, cerebral too. I, I got a good vibe from him. He, he, he did very well. Uh, I enjoyed that interview. Daniel Jones will be a real estate agent in about a year and a half. So, sure. This was a very cool thing to talk about with the similarities between him and Sims, uh, history and current, a lot of fun. And as always, I don't really know. Uh, but as, as always, we're going to throw it to the interview because that's how podcasting may, works. Well, that's what I was going to say, but I was I was testing you. Oh, oh, I, I see. Yeah, I, I see. Yeah. So we so we talk with Stephen on um, the uh, so I the article is down. If you want to read it while you're listening, if you should you read want. it. You should read the article. Yeah, I, I, I would even recommend, you know, I don't want you to leave and never come back, but I do recommend reading the article. You know, I think Stephen even does a good job breaking it down in between. So maybe if you want to read it afterwards, it's in the description. It's in the show notes. So go check out the article. It's linked down below. Um, Snacks, like you said, this is a, the second to last week of Bleeding Blue. This is an offseason show. I'm um, fucking we're gonna, sad, man. I know it's, it's, it's sad, but we're going to treat like the basically the start of camp and August 1st as – almost like the beginning of the season. We're going to have the PPPs rolling out on the Talking Giants YouTube channel, so it's been a really fun offseason. Uh, one more week left. We're going to make next week really, really fun and you know, wrap up no medals for trying. So without further ado, let's go to the interview, though. Steven Toronto of CBS, Sport- of CBS Sports. Hello, and welcome back to Bleeding Blue. We are welcoming on a very special guest from CBS Sports, Steven Toronto. We are having you on because you wrote a very, very good article. We're going to talk about your career a little bit, talk about some of your Giants fandom too. But you wrote an awesome article. Giants legend Phil Simms shares how Daniel Jones can thrive in his third season as New York as New York's quarterback. So, Stephen, welcome on. You do some awesome work. Very versatile creator. You know, you know, content creator obviously is a is an umbrella term, but you know, very versatile reporter. Um, uh. uh uh, you know, you publish a bunch of awesome articles and you're very versatile in what you're doing. Thank you for joining. Um, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. You guys actually caught me on the tail end of a trip home. I'm back up in my native Eastchester, New York right now. So I've been getting some family time in before the, before the season starts and I'll be uh, headed back to Nashville and doing my thing. 
Awesome. Awesome. So really I, where I want to start, because like I said, you, you, you really are a very versatile person, you know, and how you go about and doing your work. Uh, you know, I've seen some Panther stuff and myself as a NASCAR fan, you know, Bobby and I actually, and one of the reasons why I think we both really, you know, followed and really have not only clicked the follow button, but really have followed you is with your stuff with the giants and also NASCAR. So you know, really take me, talk me through your career kind of so far and you know, how you kind of got to CBS sports. Cause I know you just started that role. Congratulations. So take us through your career so far. It's uh, I want to say it's interesting because it, it kind of is, but I, so growing up, I was not a super hardcore uh, football person. Uh, which is the opposite of my dad. My dad is a hardcore Giants fan, uh, season ticket holder since the 1970s, uh, obviously brought me up in it. Uh, but I really was into racing far more than football growing up. So that was what was on my mind uh, all the way through school into college up until I entered the professional world. And really the thought that I had was that I wanted to be in the media business in in NASCAR, I wanted to be do something like be a, be a PR rep for a driver, uh, something on the social marketing side, what have you. But I really didn't have a solid plan as to exactly how I was going to do that. So I, I put my writing to work. I started uh, I started freelance writing for a website called Motor Racing Digest, and I uh, went to work for CBS Interactive uh, in their ad operations department in New York City. After about a year of uh, you know working, working the email lines, working the phone lines, trying to get to know people in the business. I ended up getting a weekend internship in the PR department at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And what I discovered that weekend was that a lot of people who were into, you know, official communications, all that stuff started out in media. So I already had some of the freelance stuff going for me. I was like, okay, might as well give media a shot. Around college, I went to Elon University in North Carolina. I actually... This was the period of time where the Carolina Panthers were becoming a really successful franchise. You had Cam Newton, Luke Keekley, uh, Ron Rivera coaching the team. So there was kind of a zeitgeist around the team. And they were becoming a very interesting cast of characters. And also, you could tell that they had kind of this team of destiny thing going with the stretch with three consecutive NFC South titles culminating in their appearance in Super Bowl 50. Uh, so they... So I would say more so than the Giants, they're really, that team was really what got me interested in football writing. So after I do the thing in Charlotte, uh, 24-7 sports, which used to have an NFL department, they were looking for a writer to work on their NFL desk doing nights and weekends. So I applied for that, got that job, moved down to, uh, moved down to Nashville. The offices were in Brentwood in the, uh, in the suburbs. And so I, I did their desk for about a year before I ended up getting bumped up to a full-time Panthers writer. After a year, there were some changes within the company. I went to 24-7's overall desk. And at that, end, that eventually availed me the opportunity to do a little more NASCAR coverage. Uh, just because of the pandemic, there was really a content void just because there were no live sports happening, but racing. And yeah. racing was a thing that I knew. So started, uh, the good thing about the pandemic, if there was anything good about it, was that you had more uh, ease of access to uh, teams, drivers, uh, really all sorts of things in the sports world, just, you know, 
from the Zoom platform, uh, media teleconferencing. So it uh, it was the great equalizer for me, just you know, not necessarily being in one specific place where I can you know have physical access to people. So I did uh, I did Zoom calls with uh, NASCAR drivers. Uh, I actually did some uh, some Zoom stuff in Carolina, which was uh, which was quite worthwhile. And a couple of months ago, uh, CBS Sports, which has been looking to uh, grow and expand their NASCAR vertical, uh, basically said, you know. We, we want your help with this. So, so that's what I'm doing. Uh, my primary role with the trending sports desk is racing. I've also got my hands in some other things. I'm uh, entering my third season now with the Riot Report, where I publish a uh, weekly column about the Carolina Panthers. And then I am, what am I forgetting? Uh, that's right. Uh, I Every now and then I do some, I do some Giants writing because what the what the heck they're my team when uh, when I'm off the clock and so I I just know I just know enough about them to uh to do I feel like do them justice and ultimately contribute a little bit to the narrative surrounding the team I, I, I that's a fascinating career arc and going yeah. from like the into NASCAR which you said was really your first love and um you, you know your dad's a big Giants fan big football mm-hmm. fan but you weren't so much that way um, and just looking through your Twitter and looking at your Twitter bio, it says you are a Giants fan. So I'm assuming that comes from your father, um, just does. like just like us and just like most people, uh, you know, they pass it down. So I, I guess I, I want to ask um, how you got into the Giants, like how you wanted to start writing about the Giants and how you pulled this interview with Phil Sims and everything. So uh, if you could just elaborate a little bit on, on what got you, you know, I guess started into writing about the Giants and doing Giants um, Giants news and info and stuff like that. Yeah. So I wasn't, I wasn't super hardcore as a kid. Uh, you know, you know, I, I don't like to admit that. I feel like, I kind of feel like in retrospect, I took some of the Giants success when I was younger for granted, but obviously uh, the Super Bowl run uh, in 2007 was a seminal moment in, in my life, you know, uh, and then the best best time run. of my life, Stevie. Don't worry. Best time yeah. of my life. <laughs> and then the uh, 2011 run was uh, was fun too. And I was in college then, so I was living in uh, living in North Carolina at the time was uh, was interesting. And I think I really started to become more conscious and more aware of the team as I got as I got further into football and just discovering the league as a as a whole because. Because growing up, I was kind of like on an island as far as being a hardcore NASCAR fan in the lower Hudson Valley of New York. So I couldn't necessarily relate to people that easily. But I found, and this ties into the overall life lesson of kind of getting out of your comfort zone and exploring other parts of the country and the world. And when I was in college, you know, all sorts of all sorts of NFL fans kind of converge and you start to learn a little more about uh people who follow other teams and their experiences and you know you're in you're in another place but the Giants and the Jets aren't the team the Panthers are the team so that uh I guess from a cultural standpoint that got me interested in uh football itself and slowly but surely it uh made the game more compelling uh, to me and then uh as far as the Giants are concerned obviously I went to games growing up uh, when I went home in college, I would go to games. The 
uh, season I spent the most time at the stadium seasons, I should say, were 2015 and 2016, because that was really the first time in my life I actually ever, you know, went to most, if not all, of the games of the given season. So, uh, <clears throat> so I've been trying to uh, catch up in that regard in terms of, you know, overall football knowledge and Giants lore. I, I mean, hell, my dad can my dad can fill in most of the blanks for me because uh, he's got plenty of stories. Uh, even from just, you know, I don't know if you guys follow Big Blue VCR. Oh, yeah. Twitter. Yeah, yeah we uh, he actually came on the show a few yeah. a few weeks back. He's he's terrific. Yeah, a while ago, I think he uploaded the video of uh, the Ray Must Go chant from the Seahawks game in 92. And my father actually takes full credit for that. Uh, him and, and his cousin, uh, he said that because the Braves, I think, were in the World Series that year, uh, Tomahawk chant was it was in uh, was in vogue, and at this point the fans are really souring on Ray Handley as the head coach. So uh, he claims I, I can't verify this that he <laughs> that he started going Ray must go, and <laughs> the whole stadium joined in. I got the uh, in this office here. I actually have the cover of the New York Daily News for the next day. Uh, apparently, with him in. Uh, they apparently photographed his section of the grandstand. So uh, I have that verified. He's actually been on uh, NFL films. If you watch, uh, uh, what, what the heck was it called? That There was the documentary a couple of years ago on the dispute between uh, Jersey and, and the city. Uh, it wasn't Jersey guys, was it? It, it? it was Jersey, the Jersey Giants, Jersey guys. Yes, it was yeah, from the, in, the, the, the timeline. Yeah. yeah, the yeah, timeline. My, yeah, that was very my well done. father is actually... Uh, my father is actually in that. It's uh, NFL films just from the parking lot. Uh, when they get to that part, they go for some fans uh, during the 1970s. And uh, there's my dad, uh, <laughs> uh, mustachioed, uh, far thicker New York accent than I ever developed. Uh, but he's there. And, uh, we didn't find out until years later that that it happened. And now he won't shut up about it. So, <laughs> you know... It's uh, it's a good time. It's uh, it was a good, you know, I'm always at my dad kind of, you know, me and my dad are joined at the hip when we when we go to games, and I mean I've distanced myself a little bit from it, just being away and also being mm -hmm. more of a professional. But uh, who knows? I might take uh, might take a couple Sundays off this this season if I don't have anything going on. You uh, definitely, you definitely should, yeah, because you know, it, yeah. we. It, we missed all of last year when we weren't allowed to be in the stadium. So I'm sure, uh, I'm sure returning to MetLife this year is going to be great now. Well, I mean, um, hell, I, I, I skipped out on, uh, I skipped on Kyle Allen throwing three interceptions against the Seahawks to go see Eli's final game. So I no mean, one can accuse me of uh, being too hardcore. In terms yeah. of, oh, I'm a writer and I'm not going to be a fan. And, you know, which, which I mean, I, I don't mean to say that in a dismissive way, because you know, when you're, when you're on the journalism or at least the content side of side of things, uh, you're the way you see things can change somewhat, but I don't know if I'm ever going to be in a position where I can completely like emotionally disconnect myself for better or for worse. Right. Right. And I, I was always told like, Oh, you should, you should write about sports or something like that. I'm like, no, I can't do that. I'm way too biased. There's no way in hell I could ever write like a bad word about the giants, even though I trash talk them all the time. So, um, I mean, it, it, that's all. It's all so fascinating to me. Now, 
the article that you wrote, um, you know, the interview you had with Phil Sims, I'm going to just ask it bluntly. And, you know, it's I'm not trying to be rude, uh, but, I, I, you know, watch this show or not. If you know me or not, it, I'm a very blunt person. I'm very maybe some sometimes a little brash, but regardless, we watch Phil Sims on TV, whether he was calling games or he's in the CBS booth and the pregame and the postgame. We've seen his interviews. You got to interview him and talk to him on the phone. Is he as goofy and awkward on the phone talking to him directly as he is on television? Sorry, I have to know. I got to know. Well, the interesting about thing about it was I think I had uh, the original emails I had with some of the PR people who handled Phil's stuff with the NFL today. They said, you'll have about 20 minutes with him. We ended up talking for about 35 and Very cool. a lot of it, a, there was a lot I couldn't use. And it was basically Phil just uh, ranting about the state of the football media. Just, and, and I touched on this in the article itself, mm-hmm. just where I could fit it in. Uh, but it was him, you know, he, he said things like, oh, you know, uh, analytics or the way we discuss quarterbacks, uh, you know, not going too far into detail about it, but every now and then it was like, okay, I, I got to get this. I got to get Phil back on track here. But then again, Phil Sims is like this in my mind. So how am I going to, uh, how am I going to talk Phil Sims down? I might as well just, uh, I might as well just write it out. Yeah. One Plus, of the things I, I was actually going to ask you is sometimes when you talk to athletes, you know, and, and we get this a little bit when we, you know, when we talk, you know, we talked with Darnay Holmes, we're talking giants, we talked with Nick Gates. And one of the things that I'm worried about with talking with athletes or former athletes is how, you know, how much can we pull from them, you know, to let their personality show. And I can imagine Phil is not that difficult to let his personality show. You don't have to do a lot of pulling to get him to get going. No, he actually, uh, he actually uh, had some interesting things. And I hope he, I think he said a couple of things that were like, you know, don't, Put this off the record but there were some other things where it was where it was like oh man you know uh the pressure of new york city oh geez you know uh that's so that's so overrated because i've traveled to a bunch of other uh bunch of other cities and football media and i've seen the way they trash their teams too so and then i think he was also talking about that i might as well talk to boomer size and ask him uh if he ever went to a game going oh man this is a big game oh i, I gotta make it happen you know so just uh, there were plenty of things that he talked about where it, was, where it was like, okay, this is just a football media cliche that I personally dislike, uh, you know, because the way it was framed was that uh, the the phrase make or break season as it pertains to Daniel Jones this year, it's been bandied about so much. I feel like I open a bleacher report every, every single day and that phrase is just copy pasted into whatever uh oh, we hear whatever yeah aggregate list they've decided to uh decide to pull up that day but uh but yeah anyway the uh so the origin of that piece and the reason i wanted to talk to phil in particular about daniel jones is that my understanding of of daniel has always been kind of informed by what i understand about phil's career and i'll uh I hope Dan Schneier does not uh, mind me sharing this story, but uh, I am going to throw him under the bus a little bit. So please do. 2019 NFL, what's up? What's wrong? Please, please, please do. 
I would love to hear this. Friend right, of the channel. So, yeah, Dan Dan is a friend. friend so of the this channel. is this is totally okay. All right. So so back in 24-7's NFL department, I was the Panthers publisher, Dan was the Giants publisher. And the draft that year was in Nashville, so obviously it was a big deal. Uh local to me. You know, we had uh, we had Kevin Boylard uh out at the uh at the draft stage itself. And so I'm honed in on uh, Carolina's draft. They had the 16th overall pick. But granted, I knew that uh, the Giants were probably going to select a quarterback, even though I was uh, I was an Eli loyalist. I really didn't want that to happen if it didn't have to. But I was I was keen to the idea of, of Jones. It was like, yeah, you can talk me to Jones. If we, uh, if we get like a pass rusher or whatever, and then we get Jones, you know, I'll be I'll be good. Uh, so I'm, so I'm kind of passively watching as I'm waiting for 16. It's like, okay, the Giants are up. Let's see what happens here. Uh, Jones is the pick. Uh, everyone goes berserk, uh, Dan included. And so I'm still, I'm still focused on, I'm still focused on the way the board is falling. Cause this was my mistake, by the way, I wanted Cleveland Farrell for, for the Panthers. I thought Cleveland Farrell was going to be out of this world in the NFL hasn't happened yet and I thought Brian Burns was uh too small to be a super effective pass rusher and I turned out to be wrong about that I'm sorry uh so we've all been wrong about prospects don't worry about that Burns is going to be all pro this year he's gonna in an alternate universe where the that 2018 Panthers team doesn't uh collapse after that six and two start they're a little further down the draft board I wouldn't want the Giants to take uh, take Burns in that 16-17 range, even though I'm not gonna I'm not gonna disparage uh, Dexter Lawrence by any stretch of the imagination. But anyhow, this is happening, and I know just enough of my history to think to myself, "Hey, wait a second! Didn't they do the same thing to Sims when he got drafted?" And of course, you know, Dan didn't want to hear it at the time, but uh, sure enough, that comparison was made uh, by other people. And I just wanted to almost revisit it because, you know, the way that I feel like the way young quarterbacks are regarded in the football media now, any young quarterback in the league who isn't named Mahomes, people who are actively looking to push out the door in favor of the next big thing. It doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, you've seen what's been going on with Lamar Jackson the past couple of days. I think uh, week one of last year, there was some – the Browns got blown up by the Ravens and there were, there was this stupid, uh, there was a stupid take out there. It's like, Oh, if Baker Mayfield really struggles this season, the Browns should draft Sam Ellinger instead, uh, which is just asinine in, uh, in retrospect, but it's something that you have to contend with. So I decided to do a little more digging on what was being said about Phil Sims entering year three. And there were, there were some parallels that I found the, uh, there was a article in the uh, Press and Sun Bulletin up in Binghamton, uh, dated August second, nineteen eighty-one, uh, that I found particularly interesting. It was written by uh, Paul A. Bramowitz. I don't know if that name uh, rings a bell at all, but so many of the things that were said about Sims back then, you can say about Daniel Jones now, all the way from beginning of the article. Uh, talking about the 79 draft, the Giants would have settled for respectability at this stage of the game. You get that way after a cluster of losing seasons. 
But the fans were, weren't looking for a quarterback. They were seeking a messiah. What they got was Phil Sims. Going on into later in the article, and this is the uh, this is what I directly quoted in the uh, article from CBS itself. The jury is still out on Sims. By far, he's been the best the Giants have. But his inconsistency puzzles people. When he's good, he's very good. But when he's bad, he's very, very bad. Going on a little further, the blame lies with the quarterback. He's the target of criticism. And I think the Giants have gone four and 12 on uh, 1980. Because I know they earned the second overall pick, which they used on uh, LP. Right. Worked out. Uh, Sims, more criticism is, is surely ahead. So I think someone on Reddit uh, said time is a flat circle when I checked uh, to see what the comments were uh, on my article over, over there. And to a degree, that's true. But, you know, just back back then, because the money isn't what it was back then, you know, teams, fans, media had a lot more patience. Uh, and, and ultimately, you could afford to carry multiple good quarterbacks because you know, there was no salary cap. Right. Uh, there were other financial considerations that uh, weren't there uh, like they are today. So, so really, there was no. I, I don't. I want to say there was no like impending sense of you know do it or else for for Phil Sims back then, but there is for Daniel now, which is really why I wanted to kind of steer steer things in a direction where okay not only is this what phil sims not only is this what oh let me ask phil sims about daniel jones entering year three but also to try and give context to what people think about young quarterbacks what people think about daniel uh in particular just to show that there there isn't necessarily no precedent for what's going on now every I feel like most things in football most things in sports in general have happened at some point in the past there's very there's very little that's truly novel so that's what I was going for when I uh when I started planning this and, and pitching it did Sims talk about the influence of the coach at all um because you know, we're reading a book called No Medals for Trying right now by Jerry Eisenberg from 1989. And, you know, this is obviously later in Sims's career and you know, he's well established. He's a Super Bowl champion already, Super Bowl MVP. But basically, you know, Sims is hurt in that, you know, hurt during that week. And the comments that he that Parcells made to the media was very much kind of dismissing Sims and kind of throwing him under the bus a little bit in terms of Sims isn't going to play unless he's a hundred percent, not saying, Oh, I don't know what Sims is going to do. Yada, yada. And we know just from, you know, knowing giants history, we know that Parcells was tough on Sims, but also we know that that relationship was also looking back on. It was pretty good. The fact that they won together and Parcells, you know, push Sims when he needed to push Sims, but still Parcells, I, I would say, when it comes with the media, because I know Sims talked a lot about the media in this article, and he talked a lot about the media, which you couldn't report on. Did Sims talk anything about the influence that the coach has, whether it's personally, in terms of the confidence, like, you know, hey, you know, did Bill Parcells always say, you're the guy, you know, you need to do this, or, you know, even, you know, the coach before, Ray Perkins. So did, did Sims talk at all about Parcells? Because I'm interested even, you know, to know this dynamic between, judge and jones which judge actually did go on a podcast and he recently talked about mm -hmm. the dynamic that he has with daniel jones too 
Well, actually, we did ask him about something that uh, Ray Perkins allegedly said. I there was one. I think it was the Daily News that I cited, but at one point uh, in Phil's first two seasons, because Phil was uh, kind of outgoing about how he had a lot of doubts his first two years. You know, he wasn't sure if he'd ever become a consistent quarterback, and you know, there was also the matter of you know, oh, I got to watch over my shoulder, see if someone else doesn't try to take my job. And eventually, uh, Ray Perkins sat him down and told him, uh, and I quote, just go out there and do your job and bleep everybody else, to hell with everybody else. I didn't necessarily speak so much about uh, Parcells, but what, what he did say is that one of the great things that all great coaches have is the ability to understand the person they're dealing with and how to connect with them and what to say in, in certain moments. And he was very complimentary of, of Judge. And uh, I think the question I asked him was, was that, well, role play a bit. If you were Joe Judge right now, what, what do you think the best thing to say to Daniel Jones would be? And I quoted that in the, uh, in the article. I, I think he said, uh, <clears throat> you know, everything the Giants have done this offseason is for the sake of Daniel Jones, uh, you know, trying to find the uh, exact specific quote. Uh, here we go. Yep. We went on drafted guys, signed free agents. Saquon's coming back. We're doing it all for you. Uh, so really what the Giants plan of attack here is to make sure that they give Daniel Jones a chance to show everyone the sort of quarterback that he is. I, I mean, you talk more about quarterbacks harnessing the power of position uh, for themselves and you know, really being the guy that everyone follows and responds to, which is something that you, you're starting to see some of the younger quarterbacks in the league do and master. I think uh, Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield last year were two very good examples of that. Where it was like, okay, this guy is the alpha male of this team. We're, we're following, we're following him come hell or high water. And so I, I think, I think in terms of the position, that's where his focus was. But uh, we did talk a little bit about the coach's role, but ultimately uh, there wasn't anything super revealing or crazy about Parcells that I didn't already know. Because I think uh, he was telling the story last year of how when Daniel was having, not, not, not the yips, but when Daniel's you know turnover issues, quote unquote, were a thing, I think Sims was shared the story of how Parcells once told him when Sims was being too conservative, Phil, if you don't throw two interceptions a game, you're not trying. So, you know, <laughs> a good way to look at it. What's up? I said, it's a good way to look at it. It's well, true. Well, I mean, well, I mean, That's one thing I always respected about, like just say Eli, for example, he's got all these interceptions. Yeah. But at the end of the game, he's down 14 points. He's not, you know, he's still slinging it. He's still throwing it down. He's he's trying his absolute best. So I love and that. That's Parcell also said that to that's me. also what we really liked about Daniel Jones's rookie year too. And right. Then Jason, yes. And then Jason yes. Garrett took that away from him. I'm not. It, it's it, yeah. Well, let's not talk about people with red hair, okay? Because we all <laughs> suck. I don't. I know. I don't want to talk about Jason Garrett right now. Okay. That's not the point of this show with Steven. All right. He gave his time, and you just shouldn't sit there and try and ruin it. But. Stephen, from your article and from what you're saying now and, and everything, the similarities between Sims and Daniel Jones are very, very, like, spot on. I mean, 
in, in the article and Sims talks about, and he says, uh, make or break year. We didn't really know about that. They were more patient back in the day. Now it's like, all we hear about is this rookie quarterback contract. You got to win in that rookie quarterback it's contract window, or a, yeah. that window right there, or else like a failure. And what Sims was saying is like they were they were more patient back then. They were they brought you along a little bit better. But there was a lot of vitriol from Giants fans when they drafted Sims, and there was probably twenty times more vitriol when they drafted Jones. So the fact if Daniel Jones has even the smidge of career that Phil Sims had with the Giants, we're going to consider that a success. And I I think that you captured all of that so well, and and you you brought out the most in um, what Sims was trying to you know, trying to push on us and what he was saying. And uh, I, I just want to say great job on that. I don't really have like a, a question, so to say. I, I wanted to just mention that in reading the article, I love just seeing how similar these these situations are in two very drastic eras of football. Yeah. Well, I think uh, picking backing off of what you were saying a bit about how, you know, oh, if, uh, if a quarterback doesn't do so-and-so in a window, they're never going to win a Super Bowl, and it's all, right. it's all for naught. It's like, you know, and even in the 1970s, this was happening, as as referenced by the uh, uh, from Sun Press article I mentioned. There's always been that sense of, uh, you know, oh, we're not going for a quarterback at the top of the rack. We're, you know, this player is going to save the franchise. This is this player is the ascendant man of destiny who is going to, uh, you know, win us three, four, five. He's going to be the greatest ever. And, you know, most of the time, and Phil actually said this to me, I didn't, I wasn't able to find a, a place for this because that's not, because obviously, you know, I think all Giants fans, myself included, would like to see Daniel Jones win Super Bowls. A lot of very good core, a lot of quarterbacks who go at the top of the draft will have very good careers and will not win Super Bowls. Uh, so let's take from Giants history, let's take Kerry Collins for 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 example. Kerry Collins had statistically uh, a very good career. I think he's in the or he was in the like top dozen passing yards all time, uh, led multiple playoffs. Yeah, he was amazing. Uh, led the led the Giants uh, to a uh, to a Super Bowl, Super Bowl 35. Uh, also compelling from a personal standpoint because of the personal demons he dealt with in Carolina. So so all told, Kerry Collins was a very good NFL quarterback, but it's oh, okay, so so Kerry Collins lost the Super Bowl to an all-time to an all-time defense and never got back there. Okay. So is he just a is he a failure? Is he just a uh, mediocre. Oh, oh, you won with him, not because of him. I, I don't, I don't buy that. I, I really, I really don't. And I think what we're doing now with quarterbacks, and and I, I will admit full disclosure that some of this came from my frustration about what people say about Jones as a fan. But you see this league wide. It, it's not just Daniel. Like, and, and I think uh, Tua Tagovailoa in Miami is the perfect example of this. You know. Ascendant man of destiny, Miami Dolphins, you know, uh, Alabama Crimson Tide quarterback, national championship. Oh, he's going to be great. He's going to be fantastic. Has a winning record his first year. The, the Dolphins don't make the playoffs. We didn't. Uh, what are you in good for? We got yeah, to get and, another quarterback and, instead of you. It's, there was fans on Twitter screaming. They and, and like first take and ESPN and Colin Coward, they're like, should Miami consider taking a quarterback yep. after like eight starts from Tua? Like, come on. 
same, it same is a little excessive. Thomas, same stuff with Andrew Thomas, too. It's like, oh, well, okay, Tr- Tristan Wharf's had a, had a great rookie season. J- Jedrick Wills had a great rookie season. Makai Becton was uh, pretty good when he stayed on the field. But uh, you can't. Okay, so, you know, and so Andrew Thomas had, had an up-and-down season. I, I don't – I seem to recall Blaine Johnson not lighting the world on fire his first season in, in Philadelphia – as much as I hate to cite anything with the Philadelphia Eagles, but you know, scum city, scum uh, fans, scum team. Yep. The future is not written after one season. And, and another thing I want to, uh, I want to touch on, cause I think uh, this was a point of discussion with uh, Dan Duggan at the athletic or uh, it was Kim Jones's conversation with Dan Duggan. And I think Kim, Kim Jones was asking people about Daniel Jones and whether or not, pocket presence could be improved and there were kind of mixed things there and uh there were some there were some things about oh oh you have it or you you either have it or you don't it's i don't know it's, it's just so much there's so much oh this you know it has to be now he has to you you have to show this immediately or else you know you're not the you're not the guy i'm at the risk of going on a tangent it's just you know there's there's almost no room for I'm, I'm kind of losing my train of thought. Well, I mean, it's margin of error too. And, and, and Steve, you know, uh, you know, kind of piggybacking off of snacks, complimenting you a little bit more part of why I've really enjoyed the stuff that you've put out. It is because like, I didn't need, you know, I didn't need to read your Twitter bio and I didn't need you to come on the show to confirm that you were a giants fan, that you are a giants fan. And I think that is that like, this is where content, I, I maybe even a little bit of journalism it's where it's going and it's where people's interests are going. People, I think, don't just want to hear unbiased stuff anymore. People kind of kind of want to hear a little bit of the bias in there. And it's okay to, and it's the thing is, is that you have to recognize it. So I could sense, like, I know your Twitter. I've read your, you know, I know some of your thoughts on the Giants. I could, I could sense some of your, your authentic, genuine feelings on Daniel Jones as you were kind of writing about your conversation with Phil Sims. And I love that. And that's okay. So here's like the last question I want to, I, I really want to, I want to ask you to wrap up and I want to thank you for coming on again. I'll give you a chance to plug everything when, when we're done, but I want to ask, you know, especially as a journalist and, you know, as somebody who talks to a lot of different people, whether it's athletes, uh, coaches, um, you know, scouts, whoever, you know, who talks to people and especially to hear Phil Sims, you, you as a reporter and as a journalist, right. You're hearing Phil Sims rip the media and, you know, he did it, you know, some things that you can't say and he did it. And it was obvious, even just apparent in the article itself that, you know, Phil Sims, you know, either didn't like the media when he played or he especially just doesn't like it now. But how does it feel as somebody in your like you, 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 you are working in media and you are media. How does it feel like you're on the you're on the line with somebody and they're ripping apart kind of your profession like how do you kind of take that and kind of roll with it and you know is it something that maybe you take a little bit personally so so i've always wondered uh, about that especially here it's like all right i'm a reporter i'm a journalist and you're ripping kind of like my professional part so how do you kind of feel about that how do you take that well there's actually a quote by thompson that i've become quite fond of and i can't share it I probably can't share it on here just because of some of the language used, but it's the. Uh, oh no, you can. Journal- this is Talking Giants is a is more of the PG show. This is a show where you can. Okay, uh, let me get let me get the full thing up 
go and you can you can decide whether or not you actually want to use this uh journalism is not a profession or a trade it's cheap catch-all for fuck-offs and misfits a false doorway <laughs> to the backside of life a filthy a filthy piss-ridden little hole nailed off by the building inspector but just deep enough for a wino to crawl from the sidewalk and masturbate like a chimp in a zoo cage so so about yeah, yeah. We will definitely, by the way, we, we will definitely be using that because this is a pro cursing. Oh uh, this, this is a pro cursing podcast because, you know, fuck <laughs> shit, bitch. It's don't worry about it. Bro, we'll, we'll break that down for me. I break it down. All right. Please. So, this might be my favorite. This might be my favorite breakdown on this show's history. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I, I can't quite remember what that was in reference to because fear and loathing was just so schizophrenic in, you know, it, it was a drugging novel, so how could how could it not be? But I feel like in what I do, because I didn't go to school for journalism, I actually wanted to, uh, I originally wanted to be a professor, as a, as a matter of fact. I, I majored in sociology at Elon, uh, so I was, I was going more toward uh, intellectual type stuff until I realized that I didn't necessarily have the work ethic uh, or the philosophical leanings for it. Uh, but, but, but anyhow, so so that's allowed me to be a little bit separate from the traditional journalistic, uh, journalistic hive mind uh, to the point where I'd almost say I'm not a journalist per se. I do journalistic things, but ultimately I would say I'm more of a content guy than a, than a jer- strict journalist per se. So, so I think, uh, so I think that's what I would say. I would be like, oh, oh okay, you're going to criticize the media? Uh, Actually, uh, hell, you're right. This is a this is a sordid profession. It's, it's terrible. It needs to be reformed. Now, now, now granted, if uh, you know if someone thinks I'm a shill for somebody, I'll say, you know, okay, I, I disagree with you there. Uh, I basically like I basically disagree with what you think about the media, but you know, don't don't take it pers- don't don't personally attack me about it because you know I'm in I'm not you know the media quote unquote. I'm in I'm in, in I'm an individual. I'm Stephen. Uh, so, so that's what I would, that's what I would say to that. It's, uh, you know, I like to, I, I like to try and be a bit of a, bit of a renegade, bit of a independent, bit of a free thinker. So I'm not necessarily going to spend a lot of time caping for my profession, uh, as it were. So, so if you ask me about, you know, criticizing media now, now I will say in the skill defense, this is, it does take a certain skill set to be in media, or be a writer, and be really good at it. And I've always tried to be a little more discerning and, you know, cut through, cut through what gets said in the common, uh, what the popular narrative is, and trying to see whether or not that's valid, which is, which again, tying back to this is kind of what I did with what goes on with Daniel Jones. Uh, but, you know, I, I think there I think there is some utility in being uh, critical about the media field, but at the same, but at the same time, you know, ultimately, a big part of my job is analyzing, uh, disseminating information, and ultimately, knowing what I'm talking about. So, so sometimes people will run with crazy things like, "Oh, you know, I, I, I heard this, and you know, this is the truth." It's like, no, that that's hearsay. Calm down. Uh, eventually, you'll get really good at that if you cover Cam Newton for two years, because. Boy, let me tell you, I uh, I heard all sorts of things about Cam uh, those last two years in Carolina, and 
some were valid, uh, some weren't. So that's, uh, you know, without going on too much of a tangent, that's where I kind of leave it at. Awesome. Awesome. So Steven, um, Steven Toronto at CVS sports. Thank you for coming on. I am going to leave your article. So go check out the article. I'm right. leaving it in the description, the bio, you know, if you're watching on YouTube, it's in the description. If you're, uh, if you're listening on the podcast app, it's in the show notes. So Steven, why don't you uh, plug where you're at and uh, snacks? You have something to say. You never let me say goodbye to the guests. I, you know what? Cause that's, it, isn't that like podcasting etiquette, like the main voice of the show always uh, like, uh, you know what some may argue maybe it's my voice you do have a very nice voice Steven, why don't you plug where you're at and where everybody can find you all right so on twitter i am uh s toronto 90 at s toronto 92 um writing for cbs sports which is uh, where you'll find my nascar stuff some of my nfl stuff uh also some assorted sports as well which i've had the opportunity to cover uh, you can also go on riot report and uh find my coverage and columns of the Carolina Panthers and former Giants assistant offensive line coach, Matt rule. So if you're, if you're interested in teams beyond the Giants, uh, I do some writing about them as well. And uh, you know, that should cover all the bases. Awesome. Awesome. Giants, I, Panthers, Giants, Panthers, they play, they play each other this year. So you yeah. got to check out Steven's coverage. Yes. Snacks. I'm saying goodbye. And thank you. Right, thank all right, you. Go ahead. Thank you snacks. I appreciate that. Don't don't say thank you, Stephen. Thank you for coming on. You do great work. That was a phenomenal article. We really appreciate the insight. And I got to tell you, that is one of the most fascinating career arcs I've seen from from NASCAR to football and everything in between, from the Panthers to the Giants and, and everything. So uh, we genuinely appreciate you coming on. And um, thank you for your time. Keep up the great work. Yep. Well, someone once told me that there's no magic bullet as far as uh, as far as a media or sports career. So. I've just been going with what works and uh, somehow it's uh, limited to the point where I guess enough people think I'm good at what I do to, uh, to pay me what they do. So yep. I'll just well, keep you, on proceeding in that direction. Yep. You definitely are. And the hard work pays off. So thank you again, Stephen. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Stephen Toronto, CBS sports. Once again, remember, Articles linked down in the description. It's linked down in the show notes. So go check it out. Go give Stephen a follow on Twitter too. He yeah, does not have enough do follows. Does not have enough followers. I yeah. think he really does deserve more. Um, he just started working with CBS Sports a couple months ago. That's really, really cool. He even did a really cool thing by putting Talking Giants in the CBS Sports article. When we interviewed uh, Daniel Jones's trainer, um, he did a really cool thing. And he's like, hey, you know, this is what Daniel Jones's trainer had to say about Daniel Jones. And you know, he gave us credit and he linked us and he linked, uh, you know, the, the, the interview and the podcast app or YouTube, whatever. So that was really, really cool of him. And he didn't have to do that. Um, and it's kind of a cool moment talking giants being on like CBS sports and being on like a major website. So thank you to Steven Toronto um, and snacks uh, next week, our final week. Yeah, man, and, I'm going to um, cry. Yeah. Now we're going to cry, but we're going to have a lot of fun. So uh, until then we will see you next week and snacks. Fuck Tiki Barber.